LA is fucking done, and so is California. That's my opinion. I think you need Razal Ghul to come in there and just blow that shit up. But on the show today, I have Craig Grivey, aka Bruce Wayne. So, Craig, what do you say to that opening? <laughs> this is the Dima Show. Dima Show. A unique perspective on entrepreneurship, real estate, business, finance, politics, and current events with a big dose of common sense. Warning. Warning. If you're easily offended, this is not the podcast for you. Listen at your own risk. LA is not done. We may be at the last point to turn around before we are done, but there is still an opportunity to save this city, and that's what we're going to do. I love it, man. Well, listen, they, all jokes aside, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know, consider you a good friend for a long time. We've talked before on the show. Now we got the podcast launching, so we're going to get you on there. And uh, you've been a busy man. Uh, obviously, you have the, the organization that we talked about before, Rise Together, and now you are officially running for mayor of L.A., Exciting. <laughs> Exciting is one word for it. Uh, there's certainly others like uh, putting yourself through voluntary torture. But yes, uh, it's all <laughs> in the name of actually trying to do something uh, rather than just complain about it. So what's interesting is I'm no longer one of your voters. I bailed on the city because um, just wasn't going to put up with that shit. But uh, I'm excited to talk to you because I love L.A. I have family there. I love California. You know, people always say, why are you hating on California? I'm not. I love the state. I just can't stand what they've done to it on a political basis, which is, you know, kind of seeped into every community in L.A. So uh, so let, let's talk about it, man. How are you going to save the city? <laughs> well, listen, you're right. And it starts with, we're going to save the city by relying on one fundamental thing. And that's the thing that you just said, which is that you love LA, even though you're not even here. The people of LA love LA, right? Like with all due respect to people in Tulsa or Tallahassee, they don't feel the same about their city. They don't have the same level of passion and enthusiasm. So we don't have to convince people that LA is worth saving. We just have to show them that it's possible to save the city. And the reality is the fundamental principle of my campaign is that I am the only candidate to launch a campaign with a real concrete plan, not just to address, but to solve LA's problems, particularly in homelessness, affordability, crime, and corruption. We're rolling out a jobs and innovation plan in the next couple of weeks, but we're starting with those four because those are the four that are the most important to everyday people in LA. 91% of Angelinos will tell you that homelessness, affordability, and crime are the top three issues confronting the city. And we've got a solution for every single one of them. Is that right? That's interesting that those are the those are the top three, because I will tell you that mine is actually very different from that. Um, my, my issue with LA and California as a whole, and, and I, I'll touch on kind of how your campaign fits within California, cause I think it's important, but my actual issue with the city is just the fact that it became a very toxic environment. Maybe it's a result of the issues you just talked about. Maybe those are the symptoms, but you know, things like when the pandemic happened and they encouraged people to snitch on their neighbors, if, if they had too many people at their house, you know, people, uh, looking at you funny if you're not wearing a mask. I mean, this is, it's just, it's bullshit. I mean, they created a city of toxic people. That was, that's my issue. Um, so how do you address that? Certainly. There is a city where we have created a toxicity by pitting people against each other, right? And, and this is, this tale is as old as time, is that corrupt, failing leaders to inoculate themselves against accountability will instead pit one group of citizens against another. And so what we've done is we have a group of failing leaders who aren't doing what actually needs to be done for the last 20 years in this city. And rather than face attention for what they're doing, for their robbery, for their theft, for their complete failure to address homelessness or affordability skyrocketing, they instead have catered to the extreme 
and then created this divisiveness. They've, they've tried to say, well, you can't be pro-law and order and pro-social justice at the same time. That's not true, right? They can't, they, they can't, they've said, oh, well, you can't be pro-health and pro-freedom at the same time. That's not true, right? Like, they created these zero-sum equations. To, and what that does is as long as we're fighting each other, we're not fighting the corrupt establishment of this city. So you're right. That toxicity exists throughout the city, but it's an easy tide to reverse, or excuse me, simple tide to reverse. It won't be easy, but it is simple to reverse by restoring the common ground that we all share. If we unite against our failing leaders, then we can start to address and remove that toxicity. It's just allowing them to take control of our lives, and we shouldn't let them do that. But Craig, I mean, I guess the, the question I have, though, is, you know, the zero sum game you're talking about is perpetuated uh, not only by the, the people in power there, but by the media big time. You know, so the media will tell you that, for example, everyone needs to get vaccinated, which is simply not true. They'll tell you everyone needs to wear a mask. Also not true. You know, they'll tell you all these things. Like you said, that if you're if you're pro freedom, then you're against social justice. If you know all of these things that you said are a hundred percent true. However, you're fighting the media on that one. What do you do about that? Well, I take uh, heart in the fact that no one reads the LA Times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a piece of shit. Trash. Um, I mean, it's, it's the it, it is the worst excuse for a paper record uh, of any city in America. Um, but you know, the reality is, you're right. Yes, the media is biased. And that's okay, because the vast majority of people don't trust the media. We have got to reach out to people through their neighbors, through where they live their lives, in person, door knocking, through social media where we can use it to our advantage. There are all kinds of ways around mainstream media. It's no secret that the evening news only wants to cover certain people, right? They want to hand us Karen Bass as, as a, the anointed queen of Los Angeles. But the reality is the vast majority of people aren't in the mood to be handed something. And they are reasonable people who will do the work, listen, and we can engage outside of the media. All right, Craig, I'm going to, I'm giving it to you today, man. I told you, I'm not going to take it easy on you. <laughs> so, uh, this is going to be the hardest interview you do while you're running for mayor. <laughs> Great. So you just said that the people of LA are reasonable people. Explain this to me. 70% of them voted to keep Gavin Newsom in office. Yes. So the reality is, I'm not a Gavin Newsom fan. You're not a Gavin Newsom fan. No one is a Gavin Newsom fan. But if you wanted to get Gavin Newsom out of office, the smart thing to do was to spend a year and a half dragging down his favorables, recruit a strong candidate, and have that candidate actually run against him from a center-right platform. That's not what happened people drank their own Kool-Aid. And I'll be honest about this. They, they were like, oh, a recall will work because it worked once before. Well, Larry Elder isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, who turned out to be a fantastic governor, right? The reality is that Larry Elder handed Gavin Newsom a victory in the recall. So a lot of people voted to keep Gavin Newsom because the alternative was simply something that they couldn't stomach. That doesn't make them not reasonable. It makes them say, all right, when, when our two choices are Larry Elder and Gavin Newsom, we've done something wrong as a state, right? I say the same thing on a national level, right? When we're dissatisfied with our choices on both sides, we've done something wrong. And, and just because people chose one less worse or more worse option over another worse option doesn't make them not reasonable. So, so you think, uh, you know, Larry Elder, the, uh, the black face of white supremacy, was, was not a better candidate than... I, you mentioned L.A. Times, so I had to give that one to you. But what I mean, I actually I thought and listen, I didn't dive deep into it because I was in the middle of, of getting the hell out of there. But, you know, I thought just from a common sense perspective, Larry Elder made sense to me from a the guys from South Central. He's from L.A. Like he's he's you know, when you talk about like diversity, inclusion, equity, like there's your guy. Right. The black candidate from South Central. How could how could people instead vote for the rich white dude who closed down every business and masked their kids and all the other nonsense. It, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, you're, 
you're saying you want people to vote based on diversity, equity, and inclusion, when I'd rather that people voted on merit and the person that they thought was going to bring the best policies to play. No, no, I agree with that 100%. I'm just saying they're, they're pushing the diversity shit so hard that why didn't people say, oh, Larry Elder is the right choice? A niche group is, right? There are far left burn it all down folks who want to push a lot of narratives, but they want to push narratives only when it's convenient to them, right? You're talking about trust fund kids living in the, or folks living in their parents' basement or that, you know, gentrifying is fine as long as they're the ones doing it, right? Right. You know, so there are groups that have, you know, ethnic names attached to them as, as far as being advocacy groups and they don't have a single member of that ethnicity on their boards, right? Like Correct. the reality hypocrisy runs deep no matter where you go, right? And I did the research, right? I looked at Larry Elder's policies, what he had published, and I looked at Gavin Newsom's policies. And the reality is, I'm not a Gavin Newsom fan, but Larry Elder did not have the experience that was necessary to get this state up and running and was going to confront, uh, you know, have to turn around and run again, right again in a general election and, and was going to confront a supermajority in the California legislature, which means it doesn't matter what he wanted to do, he had no power. Right. You needed somebody who's going to be able to break apart the supermajority in the California legislature and break the logjam of hypocrisy that exists throughout the state. And as much as Larry Elder might have a narrative that people love, he wasn't the man for that job. And I think a lot of people in L.A. felt that way. There's no knock against him as a leader or a businessman. It's just in this election between those two choices, the choice was clear uh, even in an unfortunate circumstance, given how little people like Gavin Newsom. Gotcha. Okay, so that that makes sense to me. And by the way, just to set the record straight, you guys, uh, what Craig just said about how you should vote is is a hundred percent what I believe. Right? This you should vote based on merit. You should vote based on policy. You should vote based on track record and facts. Uh, and and that's my deal. I don't care what skin color you are. I don't care what pronouns you want to use. I don't care what gender you are. None of that stuff matters to me, right? I don't care about any of that. Um, and so, you know, I just think all that stuff is, is you know, the, the left's thing here. But anyway, that's for another topic. So while we mentioned California, <laughs> Craig, here's my question for you on that. So as much as you want to change LA, you are still uh, within the confines of California, which as you said, is super majority left. So how are you, you're elected. Um, I mean, how are you going to get all this done and get people to either stay in LA or come to LA when you're still dealing with the crappy California policies? Hey guys, but before we do that, if you like what you're hearing and you're getting value from this show, please be sure to give me a five-star review so that it's shared with more people. And now back to the show. Well, the good news is that there's a lot you can do on the local level, regardless of crappy California policies, right? So this last California legislative session, they passed, I think they said they passed uh, 39 bills to deal with affordability. I was like, how about you just pass one that actually gets the job done? Uh, but the reality is that you can do a lot of things on the city level, regardless of how much of a mess the state is. And LA is the economic engine of California. So, so goes LA, so goes California. We can drive a stake through the heart of corruption and, and malfeasance and dysfunction in Sacramento by bringing about reasonability in LA. Can we do everything? No, but we can do a lot. We can end homelessness in LA in under four years, right? We can build 400,000 units without disturbing the character of a single historic neighborhood in this city, bringing rents down for everybody, making this a city affordable. We can bring tens of thousands of jobs to the city, and I don't need a single state policy to do that. Are there a dozen state laws and policies that I would like to change? Yes. Are there a dozen more new ones that we could put into place that would make this state stronger and more vibrant? Yes. But I, in my platform, have accounted for zero state help in getting any of those things done. And we can still save LA, fix LA and make LA a shining beacon. And I'll tell you this, ain't nobody move faster than people to a success story, right? Like people want to be on the coattails of a success story. So when LA turns the tide, you better believe that the rest of the state will follow because they don't actually want to do the work. They want to chase these failing leaders want to chase success. So as long as we do the work, they'll come along for the ride. So what you're saying, I mean, if I'm hearing it right, is, you know, if you can change L.A. and get 
people to, you know, see your success, then the rest of the state will, will follow that. A hundred percent. You're talking about LA combined with the centrist populations of the state is, is a, that is a supermajority, right? It's the, the, the legislature doesn't actually represent the people. It's not voted on by the people. It's the same thing in LA. Every city council member represents 300,000 people, but was elected with 12,000 votes, right? Mm-hmm. When people actually show up, we get very different results. Yeah, you talked about that last time. And by the way, for the record, I, I meant to say this earlier on our last time we chatted, which was uh, before that Gavin Newsom fiasco, uh, you weren't in favor of it then. So kudos to you. Your position has not changed. I tried to catch you in a <laughs> in a flip flop there, but uh, your position hasn't changed. You you said it was a bad idea then. You didn't you didn't think he was going to get recalled, and that kind of proved proved true. Um, you know, for what it's worth there. Uh, but you know, as far as as far as uh, L.A. and this voting. Uh, you mentioned something interesting last time, and I, you know, I read it in your materials again, which is that the the date of the election stri- like changed strategically, and that gives you an advantage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the same number of people voted for city elections for mayor in 1949 as in 2013 when LA was vastly smaller. We designed our elections uh, in the 20s, a hundred years ago, to suppress turnout and make the city easier to control. If you're a fan of history like I am, you realize that LA only had two people running for mayor for 50 years, the same two people. It was Sam Yorty versus Tom Bradley. First (laughs) Sam Yorty won, and then Tom Bradley won. Sam Yorty ran against him to the day he died, right? Like, so... The reality is that we have been one of the most corrupt cities and one of the most controlled cities in America, and we just haven't talked about it. That changes with this election, because instead of holding an election in March of an off year, so they were held in March of 2013, March of 2017, no one was in the mood to vote for anything in March of 2021, uh, we are now aligned with federal elections. So what that means is that we will align with federal primaries in, and the governor's primary and the Senate primary in June of 2022, in November, and a runoff in November. What that means is, you know, in previously in a primary, you might have 200,000 voters in a city of 4 million people, if you're lucky. In this primary, we'll have a minimum of 600,000 people, right? New voters will outnumber previous voters for a two-to-one margin, and those are the people who want reasonable, common-sense leadership. Those are the people who should vote Craig for mayor. So you're going after, I mean, I think it's a great strategy. You're going after the, the new voters, people that you know didn't vote before because they outnumber the, the people that voted uh, prior. I think it's a great strategy. Yeah, and they've shown up to vote in midterms before, right? They voted in congressional midterms in 2018. They voted in congressional midterms in 2014. So they like to vote. They just don't like to vote for the city. And now they're going to show up and vote for the city for the first time. And you think those are the uh, reasonable, rational people who are going to vote based on what you actually have in your your policies and your proposals? I know they are. I love it, man. I love it. Um, well, we, uh, I do want to mention, by the way, if you, if you want to just call out so that everyone knows, it'll be in the, in the show notes and the comments and all that stuff, but um, your website, how people can get involved and, and also how they can help support and donate to the campaign, which I know is important. Absolutely. So the website is craigformayor.com. Super simple, super easy. Social media is at LA on every platform. Uh, And the reality is that you can click the donate button there. And I'll tell you this, in LA, we have arcane strict rules that try to prevent outsiders from running, right? So every person can only donate uh, $1,500. If you're part of a couple, you can donate $3,000. The max is $1,500 a person. Um, And so what we need is we need to raise uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars by the end of this year to show that the force of strength that we need to the institutionalists of the city that change is coming. So every, whether somebody can donate $50 or somebody can donate $1,500, the max, it's all about uh, having individuals show up, spread the word, donate. There's places to volunteer, take action, host events. I will show up any place, anywhere, anytime to anyone, hostile or otherwise, even if they're in <laughs> Texas and I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I will answer all the tough questions, but it's craigformayor.com and we need everyone to donate because the reality is that the institutionalists I'm running against are fundraising juggernauts that are utilizing 
you know, institutional money and momentum to try to hand themselves the, you know, the mayorship along with control of this city. And we want to stop that from happening. And the reality is, just like in other elections around this country, when people show up and they give $50 or $1,500 and we put that to good use and we barnstorm around this city, we can actually prevent that from happening. We can take control of this city and restore it back where it belongs to, uh, to the people of this city, to accountability and responsibility. No, I, I mean, I, I think it's awesome, Craig. And I, you know, I, know, I wish you all the best with this. I mean, obviously, I'd love to see L.A., turn it around and, and become a great city that's, you know, business friendly, people friendly, where there isn't a homeless encampment under each underpass, you know, and all of that good stuff. Um, by the way, you so mentioned- You're going to donate $1,500 along with your wife, right? <laughs> I'm in Texas, man. I have no- Yeah, no, you can kidding. donate from anywhere in America. <laughs> by the way, you mentioned if you come to Texas, if you come here, uh, that'll be a bad idea because you won't want to leave. <laughs> if you come visit. So you mentioned, Craig, your opponents. Um, I, I didn't mean to ask you, who, who are you running against? I, I mean, I don't know if you know at this point. It's too early. Or Yeah. No, the race is pretty set. There may be a couple of people who jump in, right? So uh, Karen Bass, uh, who is a, a lifelong career politician uh, mm -hmm. uh, coming from Congress back to L.A. Uh, and a former uh, horrible state assembly speaker, uh, Mike Fuhrer, a lifelong career politician and uh, former city attorney and city councilman. Kevin DeLeon, a lifelong career politician, mm -hmm. current city councilman and socialist. Uh, and uh, Joe Buscano, uh, a lifelong career politician who's voted with city council 99% of the time but claims to be an outsider. Uh, and then uh, some other folks out there. But oh, it's, wow, there's uh, a lot of people. Do you see it? Do you see a trend here? Uh, <laughs> of career, I mean, career politicians, career, uh, career lobbyists, all of those folks. The the trend I really see with that, Craig, that's just like to me, it, it's so disheartening. Is the, these folks do a shitty job? They enact terrible policy that doesn't help anyone, and they just keep moving up the ranks. It's like in I feel like in politics, the worse you do the more you get promoted. It's it's like so, it doesn't make any sense to me. Coming from a business background, owning companies and stuff, I'm just like, I throw my hands up in the air and I'm like, what the hell, man? What's 100%. That? And that's the business sensibility that I come from as well, right? You have to be accountable. So I certainly plan on bringing that ethos and that philosophy to City Hall. I think the reality is that the vast majority of people want to do a good job, right? They want a better city. But there are just some people who are lazy, who genuinely believe that they're doing the right thing, but are lazy or unwilling to do the work or are just wrong. And I think we have an option to embrace the people who want that sense of accountability. The public wants that sense of accountability. We've spent billions of dollars and done absolutely nothing with homelessness, right? Like we spend $50,000 a year per person without feeding, housing, or clothing them. The reality is that my plan is the only plan in LA to end homelessness and will end homelessness in under four years for less than we, what we were currently projected to spend because we're going to spend by getting receipts for everything that we do, right? The city doesn't actually ask for receipts. Would your boss let you file an expense report without receipts? No, but the city prepays everything and doesn't ask for any backup. You, we all know where that money is going and it's not to help the people on the streets. I mean, again, it's like none of it makes sense. You know, like if you were, I mean, essentially, you know, the mayor is like the CEO of Los Angeles, right? And if you were the CEO of a company um, and you did what the politicians in LA and California do, and there was a board of directors, you would be fired in, you know, a day. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable to me, some of the stuff that, that goes on. But like I said here, they just, they just keep getting promoted. So let's talk about homelessness for a second, because I uh, I never knew this, but you know, there's. I always thought, oh, it's a money problem. They're not spending enough money on this. They don't care. But then I looked, and they're spending a ton of money on this, more and more every year, with more staff and more people. And again, people just keep getting promoted, and and it just keeps getting worse. So let's talk about your plan a little bit about that and dive in. A hundred percent. The question is not whether we have enough money. We have plenty of money to solve this problem. The question is how we spend it. The biggest mistake, so there are three core mistakes that the city makes. The first is, and you know this from business, you can't solve a problem you don't understand. And 
in, so you can't solve a problem you don't understand. And the reality is the city doesn't know how many people are homeless at any given point, who they are or what they need. How can you solve that? How can you solve that challenge if you literally don't have the data? So a real time data program that lets us know who's on the street, what they need, and then we can work to provide it. The second is the city has no comprehensive plan to prevent homelessness, right? If you or I were to become homeless tomorrow, nobody knows who to call in the city and that's a problem. You can't stop homelessness if you don't stop it from happening in the first place. And it's 10 times cheaper to stop people from becoming homeless and keep them in their homes than it is to get them off the street. The reality is if you're a single mother of two kids working a full-time job and you had to choose between a car repair and your rent, you've got, a, you've got an impossible choice in a city where it's, it's astronomically expensive to live. You should be able to call a hotline and have someone show up to give you immediate help to keep you and your kids in your home, to keep your job, right? All of those things. And then to work with you to make sure that that doesn't happen again. We don't do that. That's the type of programming we're going to bring to the table. And then for the estimated 50 to 70,000 people on the streets, you know, the city has this obsession with what's called permanent supportive housing, forever homes. You move in and you never have to go anywhere. And I'm all for giving permanent supportive housing to the people who need it, but they don't know who needs it. They don't know how many people need it. And they're spending $700,000 a unit, not including the cost of land, to build permanent supportive housing. Meanwhile, only a fewer than 1,000 units have come online when they promised 10,000 and five people are dying on the street every day, wow. right? The reality is we need to shift from a focus on permanent supportive housing. We'll get to that and people who need it will get it. But in the meantime, we need to shift to aggressive, immediate housing based on classification of need. So you're not putting people who need 24-7 mental health care in the same you know, in the same location as people who are just down on their luck for a little bit, right? Like those people don't belong together physically, geographically. Immediate housing to get people off the street and moving them into also what we call transitional supportive housing. You know, these tiny homes, for example, which should cost $20,000 inclusive of the cost of services per person, where the average stay time is six months before people are back on their feet and, and back a part of society. Focus on getting people off the street and the help they need and making sure that they take the help that they need, right? You don't have the right, it doesn't matter if you're at home in a multi-billion dollar mansion or you're on the street, you don't have the right to deal meth, right? So the reality is that we have to focus on enforcing the law, on immediate help, on preventing homelessness, and on accountability, paying based on, res on results and at services actually rendered rather than prepayment, which is what the city does now. The city prepays all of these corrupt nonprofit infrastructure, $46,000 a person a year in services and doesn't actually insist that people use the services. So where does the money go? Man, I'm in the wrong business. I should have been a contractor <laughs> for the city of LA. I, I just realized then, then I would have been fine. The, you know, the small, the small homes you're talking about, Craig, are those the, like those little tiny city things that they put up that are all different colors and all that kind of stuff? That's one those example things? of that. That's one example. There's actually uh, hundreds of examples of it. That Those are made by a company called Pallet out of Northwest Ohio. It does a great job. There's okay. a company called Dignity Moves that does another great job. Uh, there's, there's actually hundreds of these solutions. If you go to, there's an open source database, housing, the Housing Innovation Collaborative. They've literally mapped every immediate, what we call drop housing. You can drop it and immediately go, right? Like people can live in it immediately. They've mapped every opportunity that we have with this. And so there are there are thousands of options to choose from that are cost effective, uh, and that you know then there are all kinds of other options. We've we've shown in LA and nationwide that collaborative housing is a model that actually also works. Uh, you know, listen, if hundreds of thousands, millions of students are in dorm rooms, sharing dorm rooms, and building a community, folks who need to get back on their feet can do the same thing. And it's not right for everybody, but it's certainly right for right for about twelve thousand, fourteen thousand of the existing homeless population who need that support infrastructure. Uh, so we're leaning into what works, what's been proven to work in cities around the country. Imagine that. Model other success and do it in your city. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Including Abilene, Texas, a city that has moved to functional zero homelessness. Yes, that's right. I read about that. I read about that for sure. All right, Craig. So we've solved homelessness, I believe, in your plan. I'm looking at your website. Uh, step number two is to bring crime down is that just booting uh that that guy garçon 
Is that what that involves? Oh, our, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I went straight to him, man. That guy. No, I mean- I, every, everybody goes straight to him. There's, there's no two ways about it. Is that whatever noble goals Garcon might have had, right? Uh, Gascon, excuse me. Sorry, yes, Gascon. I'm <laughs> you, sorry. You tripped me out. You tripped me up there. Uh, I did. Whatever noble goals Gascon might have had, he is going about it all the wrong ways, right? Yes, cash bail can have a disproportionate impact on communities of color. And if you commit a nonviolent offense, right, like cash bail it can be a very difficult challenge. And we need to reform that system. But this man is wreaking havoc on our criminal justice system in Los Angeles, right? Where we, I, I'm sorry, in the 20 years I've lived here, there was never a, a, a gunpoint robbery on Melrose. And then there were three in the course of a year, right? Like the crime is skyrocketing out of control. And it, yes, it's going up around the country for a lot of dis- different reasons, but that I'm not worried about the rest of the country. I'm worried about LA. And the reality is that we don't do the things that are necessary to bring crime down. We ask the police to do everything in addition to police work. You know, the police would like to focus on police work and then they become stretched thin. So instead of fighting crime, then they're dealing with a whole lot of other things that don't have anything to do with their job. We need to get the police focused on police work so that they're not stretched thin so that they can fight crime. We need to remove insane policies put into place by a misguided DA, which is a county position as opposed to a city one. And then we also need to make sure that we build stronger relationships between police and the communities they serve. The number one thing you can do to bring crime down and to bring trust up is to build strong relationships between police and the communities they serve. But And the number one way you can do that is by having police live in the communities that they serve. But it's impossible to afford to live in most of these communities in Los Angeles. So we've already shot ourselves in the foot, right? We need to provide an opportunity for real substantive engagement because the reality is that everyone wants lower crime. Police want lower crime. Communities want lower crime. Everyone wants more trust. I'm setting aside the far left here, right? Like I'm never going to be a defund the police or an abolish the police guy. That's just a nonsense, right? The reality is the vast majority of people want healthy relationships with law enforcement and law enforcement wants a healthy relationship with communities. Fostering that should be our goal, not pitting people against each other. You know, Craig, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I never really experienced it in LA, obviously, because like, you know, growing up uh, in the growing up in the 90s, it was fuck the police, right? NWA. But, um, <laughs> but then let me tell you, when I moved here to Texas, to South Lake, uh, they love the police here and the police love the city. And the relationship is amazing. So like, even something as simple as the, the, the police department here has a uh, Instagram account, right? And they will like post like, hey, guys, like we're camping out on such and such street. If you're driving by, don't speed here. Right. And like the relationship here is amazing. I don't know if they live here. It's a a good question. But I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it where the the city really, you know, kind of embraces the police and the crime here is, I I think, like non-existent. Now we also have guns. So the crime is low for that reason. Uh, So there's no no robberies at the cafe. I'll tell you that much. Well, and I think. Listen, LA has a long history of corrupt and corruption in policing. And we have to acknowledge the the we have to acknowledge the bad things that LA has done, right? And we have to acknowledge the distrust and the mistrust that that has created. And we've got to work to repair those relationships. But we don't work to repair those relationships by pitting people against law enforcement or pitting law enforcement against people, right? Yeah. We work by having conversations, making people responsible parts of their community and engaging communities. So I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to gloss over anything from the past in any way. But the reality is that, as you point out, there are communities around the country that have incredible relationships with the, with the people who serve them. And that includes elected officials. That includes law enforcement. LA can be one too. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think it's totally doable. I mean, I'm seeing it here. I mean, in this city, everyone loves the the city council and the mayor and, you know, it's all, it's all good, man. Well, I, I would say a vast majority, you know, 70%. There's always the 30% that are complaining about everything, but um, you know, by the way, how did, <laughs> how did that dude get elected? Uh, he screwed up San Francisco and then he's like, Oh, let me, let me take my talents to LA. Uh, Gascon we're talking about still. Yeah. So 
I think that election was Jackie Lacey's to lose and she lost it, right? She could have won the election. She made a, a, a series of, of blunders of losing herself in the election. If she had stayed true to the things that she ran on and stayed true to the things that she had done, but she started trying to cater to the far left. She started trying to say certain things. And I think in general, at that point, we also had a disengaged population and a social movement that didn't have any accountability behind it. I think it was a confluence of factors that allowed Gascon to get elected. Uh, but certainly he is uh, wildly unpopular in the city and his policies are having a detrimental effect on the county, including Los Angeles City. And we need to restore, I mean, you no, know, you just look outside your window and you see the effect that they're having. We need to restore a sense of, of calm and safety to the city. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I think that's a, a very important thing that, that you have as part of your plan. By the way, Craig, I, I should ask you. So to me, everything you talk about is reasonable, common sense, rational approach, you know, model success here. It, it just makes sense. Um, I got to ask you the question because I didn't see it on your website. Do you have to affiliate with a, a political party? And, and how is that decision going to happen here? Because, uh, well, we'll talk about it after I, after you answer the question. So in LA, it's a nonpartisan primary. You can oh. be any party. So it's, it's the top two finishers go off onto the runoff. And my response to everybody is simply this. If we are tar talking about party over policy, we're already talking about the wrong thing. You know, we have a lot of people who are running for this office who want to cater to their party infrastructure, who want to cater to national or a state party infrastructure. I'm not going to do that. I am what's called no party preference, which is what we call independence here in LA. I am, you know, I am running as an independent. I'm going to stay as an independent who's focused on the policies that affect everyday Angelinos and not have to make friends with party infrastructure just to get elected. I'd rather make friends with the people who are going to vote for me rather than, you know, career politicians and institutionalists. I love that. You know, it's interesting because I, I remember following uh, Meet Kevin, who was the YouTuber that ran for governor. And like he, he put up several videos where he was like, like, help me out. I'm not sure what to do, because if I run as a Republican, like I'll never get elected in California. But if I run as a Democrat, my policies are middle of the road. They don't like me either. So I, I, I like your approach. I think it's great. Now, you, you said you have to run as a uh, or you don't have to have a party preference in the primary. What about after they, they pick the top two? Not at all. I'll stay okay. an independent all the way through. Cool, man. I and like that. By the way, to anyone on the side of the aisle, I'm going to accomplish more reasonable policies that move everyone forward than any candidate from any party. Right. You know, I, I challenge any Democrat to come up with. Well, they don't actually have any. None of my competitors actually have plans. But if they actually came up with plans, I challenge them to come up with better plans. They're going to do more for the city. If you're a Democrat, you should love our policies because they're going to increase uh, the viability of this city and help raise everyone up. And if you're a Republican, you should love our policies because they're going to empower everyday folks to thrive to their fullest in a fair and unbiased way, right? Like the, the reality is that everybody shares common ground, no matter how they affiliate on a national level, on a local level, it's real clear what we need to do. And it has nothing to do with whether there's a D or an R next to your name. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think the majority of people are in that middle. I think we all uh, probably agree on much more than we disagree on. Unfortunately, the last couple of years have just created this crazy division um, in, in our country and locally. Uh, and, and I was talking about that when we first started the show today, right? I mean, the division that I saw in L.A., that last year of being there was just, I mean, to me, it was mind blowing. It's like every issue was, uh, you know, if you, if you believe in common sense, you're a psycho, or if you believe in this other thing, you're radicalized. It just became crazy. I mean, how, how is the atmosphere now? Cause I've been gone for about four months. Uh, worse. <laughs> I think the, the good news about the atmosphere is that although we've indicted yet another city councilman, uh, so three in 20 months and another, you know, another five are under investigation. Um, so out of 15, it's, you know, it's not a great track record. A majority of city council <laughs> has been indicted or is under investigation. At least they're consistent. Um, yeah, that's true. 
Um, I think the reality is that people are more fed up than ever. They're, they're angrier than ever. But I also think that they're more aware than ever. And that's going to help us in the 2022 election is that we might see the toxicity, but people recognize that it's not healthy. They recognize more and more who's behind it, who the causes of our problems are. And Angelinos know that we can't trust the people who created our problems to also be the people who solve them. So that's why I'm running not as a politician, but as a problem solver, as a person with a proven track record. And, and I've been grateful to see the support for that. So yes, things are, are worse off when it comes to toxicity and worse off when it comes to crime, homelessness. We're not making improvements, but we are better off in people's awareness of those problems and their willingness to take steps forward, including supporting or donating to my campaign. Plugging in there. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you're getting really good at this, by the way. For someone who's not a natural politician. <laughs> I am a passionate believer in the work that we're doing. So it, it gets me up every morning and it keeps me up every night. Uh, and, and I want to do the work necessary to get the job done, which is, you know, going to be a new concept to L.A. Uh, uh, you know, a politician or a candidate or an elected official who actually does the work all day long, every day. No, they don't like that. They just want you to um, talk about what you're going to do, but not actually do it. That's, that's what. That's what's been happening. Um, let's talk about a couple of things that aren't on your aren't on your website. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, talk about the the COVID and pandemic situation in LA. Um, I will tell you, Craig, the biggest breath of fresh air for me coming here to Texas has been the fact that COVID is a complete non-issue here. Right? So it's just not. It's not an issue. If you want to wear a mask, feel free. Right? If you want to get vaccinated, have at it. But it's not an issue. It's not an issue in the school. No one talks about it. No one's talking about it at dinner. People aren't worried or, or the people who are worried can stay home. Like, it's just not a big deal. I feel like in L.A., it, it just completely took over everything from school to restaurants to business to all this stuff. So kind of if we can talk about that, what's your position on those things and, and what are you going to do when it comes to uh, pandemic related stuff? I mean... To say that LA botched its response to the pandemic is a bit like calling the ocean wet. Now, there are <laughs> like, like um, you know, I appreciate that elected officials across this country face difficult choices in, an, in face of an unprecedented and unknown situation, but they didn't act thoughtfully, they acted in reaction to everything. And regardless of where we were and the lives we saved and the regulations we put in place and the shutdown after shutdown and all of those different components, right? We kept schools out of, out, kids out of school longer than almost any city in the country and that was unacceptable, right? And the reality is that where we are now is also unacceptable. We're busy putting big mandates in with no execution, right? Like I want to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. I believe in vaccines and I believe that they work. But the, the city and the county putting a private business vaccine mandate in place is the definition of poor leadership because it's a policy without execution. Who do they think is going to enforce the vaccine mandate? So you want to ask a store clerk making minimum wage to now be a bouncer and get confronted by everyone coming in the door? Did we forget the fact that three people got shot at the beginning of COVID for asking people to wear masks at a Dollar General? Right? We're putting businesses in the line of fire when they're just now starting to reopen and regain their ground. It's a policy that isn't well thought out. Right? If we want to put a policy together that makes sense, then we should be talking to the people that the policy impacts. But we didn't do that. We just issued a mandate and an edict. And the same thing is true for masks. Right, So we have this nonsensical policy in LA where you don't wear a mask outdoors. When you approach a restaurant, you put a mask on for the 10 feet that you walk to your table. Then you take your mask off for two hours. You're surrounded by hundreds of people who aren't wearing their masks, who are elbows distance away from you. And when you get up from your table and you leave, for the 10 feet that you walk out the door, you put your mask back on. You can't tell me that that's actually doing something, right? It is nonsensical. So we have to make common sense decisions. Now, do I support common sense decisions? Yes. Do I support vaccines? 
100%. Do I support reasonable regulations for public safety and public health? Yes. But this country and this state and this city are in a very different position in November of 2021 than they were in July of 2020. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't acknowledge the progress that we've made, we don't acknowledge what the dangers really are versus what we want people to perceive them as now and operate based on today's facts, then we're doing it wrong. Again, common sense, folks. Imagine that. And by the way, just so you know, Craig, and I, I've, I've said it over and over again, uh, I am not like anti-vax and conspiracy and all of this. Like, I'm fine with it. I totally believe that for the, you know, the vaccine is good for people that need it. Um, I have an opinion that healthy kids, based on the data I've seen, uh, doesn't seem to make any sense to me why a healthy kid would need a vaccine. But, you know, if you're immunocompromised, if you're not healthy, the one thing I do believe is that the government should spend way more time talking about helping people getting healthy as opposed to forcing them to get vaccinated. You know, the statistics show that it's people who are unhealthy, overweight, have all these other issues are the ones that are getting COVID at a, at a worse rate, you know. And so why not spend some money on that? Educate people on the benefits of health and exercise you know, rather than just pushing this vaccine mandate down their throats. It makes no sense to me. We could do a lot to get our society healthier, right? Like we don't address, we've all forgotten, you know, we don't talk anymore about the opioid crisis in America, which is still right. running. We don't talk about the obesity crisis in America, which is running rampant. We don't talk about any of those things. The reality is when it comes to LA, my analogy, my story that I use all the time is you can't tell a smoker with three bullet wounds to stop smoking. And right now we've got three bullet wounds. We've got homelessness, affordability, and crime. So yeah. I would love to talk about obesity in Los Angeles and the things that we can do to encourage a healthier population. We should be so lucky as to be able to have those conversations. How can you have those conversations when you've got robberies at gunpoint on Melrose and you've got five people a day dying on the sidewalks, right? You've got to deal with these massive crises in the city in order to be able to have the basic conversations about infrastructure in this city. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I got one more for you that's not on your website. You ready for this one? I'm giving you <laughs> sure. all my hot topics of why I left. So uh, let's talk about education, public education. Uh, which in the city of LA is is awful and pathetic. And then you add on top of that, you know, the whole issue with uh, critical race theory and, and the Department of Justice going after parents and all this other nonsense. Um, you know, where I am, we're kind of at the epicenter of this uh, in Southlake, uh, but that's, that's not for this episode. Um, wh what's the story and what can be done in LA to improve public education? And then how do you address the whole you know, CRT and indoctrination issue? Well, the reality is that to say that the school system in LA is messed up um, is like saying that the Titanic hit an ice cube. Uh, I love your analogies, by the way. Analogies or metaphors, <laughs> I don't know which, but they're great. Thank you. I, it's like we keep, we keep downplaying things in LA, but we don't need to downplay them, right? We've got superintendent, previous superintendents in jail, and, and we've, got <laughs> right. all kinds of, right, we've got all kinds of problems in our schools. We're spending, I think it's $26,000 a student, but none of that money is going to students, right? Like we spent, you know, one point, I think it was $1.2 billion on a ballot measure to build schools, and then we started building really expensive, architecturally significant and beautiful schools rather than actually just as many schools as possible. Uh, we, the reality is that teachers, students, and parents should all be on the same side, which is that we want our kids to get a good education and, and they are trying to do their best to make that happen, but the system stops that from happening. And we need to focus on teaching our kids about life and academics, but <clears throat> we've got to do that free of any agenda. Right? The reality is we need to understand our past. We need to understand our history. We need to understand the journey that we've been on, but we can't try to inhibit critical thinking in individuals as they grow up. And the reality is that you've, you've got to teach a kid long division and the alphabet before you can start talking about what it means to critically engage with some of the toughest questions to confront our society. The question of what we do about race in this society is one that academics and PhDs and everyday people and adults who have been studying it for decades struggle with. If we want 
an eight-year-old to engage in that same level of thinking, we've got problems. It's an eight-year-old, right? We need to teach them honest, true history, and we need to encourage them to look critically at the world, but they've got to learn to read and to write and to spell and to do basic math first, right? And so if we focus on teaching kids the things that they need to learn and on money going to actual student education and teachers and teachers' salaries, we can actually accomplish something in LA. And that's going to involve significant reform to how the education system is run in LA. You're not going to be able to do that overnight, but it's certainly something that I'm going to tackle. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to take a, a significant undertaking for sure. I, I do think that, you know, like what you have on your website, the four things you have there. I mean, if you were to do, hell, if you were to do one of those things really well, <laughs> it would be it would be a huge success. But even an incremental improvement in each of those items will actually help because if you think about if you end corruption, you probably help public schools because I got to think that that whole system is is just, you know, ripe for corruption. And, and if you overhaul it, you know, I think that would be a, a, a great thing. So I think we've talked about all of your policies and even some of the policies you don't have that, you know, that, that I brought up for you. Um, what have we not covered? Anything I haven't asked you? Well, we haven't covered a whole lot of corruption, but I think that stands for itself when you've got three indictments in the last 20 months. Yeah, you, um, you, you, you told us everyone who's in jail who was formerly working for the city. Yeah, so <laughs> I think, no, I think, listen, if, if there's anything I, that we haven't covered, it's that, yes, LA has big, big problems. And yes, I have a history of solving seemingly impossible problems, but the reality is that LA can and should be the greatest city in America. And I will challenge any Texas city to that title, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the reality is that we have all the resources and all of the opportunity in the world in LA. And I believe in LA and I believe in its people. And I have a relentless sense of optimism that in spite of all of these hiccups, we can be a role model for what an American city can and should be. And then you will find yourself moving back from South Lake to LA and you will love every minute of it and it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's great here, man. I got to tell you, it's like, it, it's a fantastic city. I mean, the old, literally the only thing missing is, you know, the beach and, uh, and the weather. Uh, but you know, everything else, uh, they're, they're doing it right. And, you know, we're being attacked for a whole host of other nonsense. Uh, but you know, as far as a place to raise your family and stuff, it's kind of everything that, all the reasons why we left are, you know, everything that's everything that's here, unfortunately for L.A. But I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, listen, L.A. is beautiful. You've got so many cool things to do. It's a fun place and all of those things. Unfortunately, I, I still think you're, you're, you're definitely constrained by California's policies. You know, we haven't talked about taxes, uh, but, you know, if you live in L.A., you got to pay California 13.3% state income tax. You can't there's nothing you can do about that. Um, so that you're, you're going to have those challenges, but I will say, Craig, before the pandemic, we, I think most of us, and I've talked to people that have moved here and they agree with me. Most of us like had the scales, you know, the scales of justice. And it was like, well, yes, you're paying the taxes. Yes. You have all this shit going on in California, but you're in this beautiful place and it works out. So you stay right. And then the pandemic hit. And then they did all this other stupidity and then the schools and all the other stuff we've talked about and the scales just went, whew, you know, we're, we're out of here. And um, so I personally think that the mass exodus out of California, not necessarily LA, but out of California is only beginning. Um, I, I think companies are leaving so fast because the, the policies are just not uh, conducive to doing business there. And that is one thing that I definitely had on my list that I haven't talked about. So let's talk about that for a second. How do you get companies to either A, stay in LA and do business there, or B, come to LA and either move there or purposely go in and do business there? So we're rolling out a jobs and innovation plan in a couple of weeks. So you're a little ahead of the curve on this one. But the All reality right. exclusive <laughs> content for viewers and listeners of the Dima show. <laughs> the reality is that we can build a city where business thrives, uh, regardless of what, you know, state tax rates are, right? The reality is that everyone's doing that calculus. And yes, there are businesses that aren't only just leaving, but that we're chasing out of this city. 
But LA is a natural home for some trillion dollar industries and trillion dollar industries being good jobs with good wages, right? We should be a home for the space industry. California is the natural home for the space industry, right? It was placed in Texas because of a political maneuver in the 60s, but LA should be the home. And the same is true for uh, climate mitigation. The same well, is true. if Lorena Gonzalez didn't tell Elon Musk to fuck off, then he'd still be there too. Yeah, there's a whole lot of problems here. Uh, but in bioscience, in climate mitigation, in water uh, and, and desalinization, there are there are trillion dollar industries ahead of us where, you know, we have the opportunity to be not just the economic engine of today, but the economic engine of tomorrow. But we're not fostering or thinking about those policies in any common sense way. You know, I often talk about, okay, well, let's use market forces Let's lean into this. How do we differentiate what monetary policies are needed on a municipal level using Greenspan economics, using current Keynesian uh, micro and macroeconomic theory? Not one of our city council members understands what any of those terms mean, so they can't very well craft a business policy that makes sense. Right. The, the reality is that my jobs and innovation policy will be grounded in fundamental economics of how we use market forces to get government out of the way to allow business to thrive responsibly and ethically to provide good jobs and good wages for everybody to pay their fair share. And nobody has a problem paying their fair share. Right. The reality is we don't do any of that. And there's a lot of things I can't change on the state level, but there's a lot of things that can change on the local level that create a hospitable environment uh, that fosters development and jobs and innovation in industries that belong in Los Angeles with those policies. Uh, so there's a whole list of, from construction uh, and how we build and making things easier to build to how we do business and to get, getting government out of the way uh, that really help us to bring everyone to the table and foster business development. LA was a home for business for 70 years. There's no reason it can't be again. Well, no reason other than the policies that are, <laughs> that are in effect. <laughs> I mean, it's oh. just, you know, like running a business in LA, you always felt like the government, the city are just <clears throat> completely against you. Like you're fighting this battle, you know? And it shouldn't yeah. be that way. Like here, they're so welcoming that please, you know, like we want you here. We're going to do everything we can to keep you, to get you. And that's, you know, as a business owner, that's what you want. You want to be in a place that um, that wants you there. We all want to we all want to feel wanted, Craig. And so, if, <laughs> you know, if, if and, and going back to like what you said about um, the restaurant, uh, you know, hostess now becoming the health enforcer. I was watching an interview where a, a dude that runs a restaurant in Orange County was saying like, why? He's, he's like, I opened a restaurant to serve food, not to enforce your health policies. I think In-N-Out kind of said the same thing with the San Francisco thing. So it's just like, it's nonsensical garbage like that that just makes no, it, for lack of a better term, just makes no sense to me and, and to a lot of people. So, um, hey, I'm rooting for you, man. I, I Like I said, I hope you can... <laughs> Turn it around. I don't think I'm coming back. You lost me, but you can probably get, you know, a bunch of other people to, to come back. There are a lot of people that left uh, for, for the reasons you have on your website. And if you could change those things, I think you'll get a, a, people to come back and also people that are planning on leaving to stay. I appreciate that. And even if you're not coming back, I fully expect to have your support and your donation to help save yes. LA. Thank for the family that you've got living here. And to anyone who lives anywhere outside, Side of LA, I will tell you this. They'll be like, well, why do I care about LA? Let me be very clear. So goes LA, so goes California, and so goes California, so goes the rest of this country. California's economy is so large that it has a disproportionate impact on the rest of the country as a whole. So other states can thrive, but if we don't fix the problems in California, it will drag down the United States as a whole. So no matter where you live in this country, you should be concerned about what's happening in Los Angeles because of Los Angeles' sheer size and economic vitality and economic impact on the rest of the country, right? You, we want to talk about the impact of how this works. And if you want to stick it to career institutionalists who destroy cities in America, and there are a whole lot of people willing to do that, $1,500 is not a whole lot of money to ask for to help 
bring back common sense and sanity to Los Angeles and help and help bring that sensibility back to this country as a whole. No matter where you live in America, that should interest you. And that's why I hope to earn everybody's support at craigformayor.com. Craigformayor.com. Click on the donate button and help us out. I love it, Craig, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and, and you know, look, that's why I wanted to do this, right? I wanted to chat with you because I do believe like we're all, or at least we should all be pulling for each other. We should all be, you know, one country going in the same direction. You know, I, I, I specifically remember like when I was younger, like we could have disagreed on policy. We could have disagreed on how we get there, but we all had the same goal, which is to help America prosper, to help our neighbor prosper. And that's where I would like to get us back to. And I think, you know, what you're doing, what I really love about it is I actually love that you're running as an independent because, you know, you're not beholden to a party. And also the fact that, you know, like in L.A., I think if you were to say I'm a Republican, well, now all of a sudden, you know, 70 percent of the people don't like you and you got to overcome that. If you say you're a Democrat, you got to overcome the Republicans that don't like you. So I, I think it's a it's a good move. Uh, I'm fully supportive of what you're doing. It's common sense. It, it makes sense. And uh, man, I wish you the best. I really hope you win. I will be following along and uh, anything I can do as well from over here, uh, we will help out. Uh, and hopefully we get all the viewers and all the listeners to go to your website, donate, and also to support you in what you're doing. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And we're going to fix this city. This is our town and we're going to take it back. I love it, man. I love it. We'll keep up the good work and we'll be following along. Thanks so much for being on, Craig. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to The Dima Show. If you got value from this podcast, do me a favor and share it with someone you know or give me a shout out on your social channels and be sure to tag me so I can thank you. Also, throw in a five-star review wherever you're listening so that the show is shared with more people. I'll catch you on the next episode. Dima out. This has been The Dima Show. All information and content provided is for informational purposes only, and you should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.